Good morning, good morning. We are back with another episode this morning. I wanted to do this episode before I um, did my morning routine this morning. And I normally don't hop on and do an episode before I do my meditations and my workout. But this morning, I just felt drawn to doing an episode before I did any of that because I wanted to talk about something very powerful to me and something very that I even had to work on when it comes to living in the end, when it comes to manifestation, when it comes to anything like that, that I've come to realize about the entire process. Because for a while there, I was sharing my progress like absolutely all the time. And it's okay to like celebrate your small wins, obviously, with your close friends. And it's okay to, especially when you are a content creator, when you are, uh, whether that's recording a podcast or making content on YouTube or making content on Patreon and um, on a blog site, on a poetry publishing website, it doesn't matter where you are creating this content. What matters is that you are creating the content and you know that with that, there is some promotion that's going to have to go on. Whether you're posting it to your Facebook story or your Instagram story or you're making a full post about it on social media or you're posting it even in your Snapchat story for your friends on Snapchat to see or what have you, you're going to have a little bit of promotion that's going to have to go behind getting your content out. And you have to, you have to be strategic when it comes to that promotion so that you're not seeming like you're grasping. Um, and what gra- and what I mean by grasping is that you're not promoting your content from a place of, oh, just that you want people to read it. You're promoting your content and saying, hey guys, this is something that I did, feel free to check it out. Instead of, hey guys, this is something that I did, please read it, please read it, because I need these readings. I, I need, I need people to invest in what I'm doing. I need people to read what I've written. I need people to see my content in order to feel valid. Instead, you're pulling back that energy and you're saying, hey guys, so this is something that I wrote and I really enjoyed writing it. So if you enjoy poetry, feel free to read it. Or if you enjoy um, short stories, feel free to read this and, and let me know what you think. Instead of saying, hey guys, um, I, I wrote this, please read it. Do, do you notice how different that sounds? When, you, when you're pleading and you're like, please like and subscribe, please comment, please let me know what you think, I need to know what you think, please leave a review, please leave a rating. You're grasping for attention. And where that comes from, where does that come from? It comes from the ego. And there is always going to be a little bit of of ego when we are talking about ourselves 
and when we are talking about the things that we are doing and we're promoting ourselves and we're creating content, there is going to be a little bit of ego behind that. You're never going to be fully, fully free from the ego. And the ego comes from your physical form-based life when you're living in that form-based existence. And you're always going to be, as a human, living a bit of a form-based existence. But when you are focused on being, and not just being human, not just being a human being, but when you are focused on that interconnectedness, that that inter-oneness, that one life that is within you and all other beings, human beings, animals, even, uh, what we identify as being inanimate objects. Uh, there is always going to be some sort of life force within that because all of these things are going to take up space. All of these things are going to have a place within the world, and they, and they do. Even even something, <clears throat> even something like a house, it has energy within it. Not just the energy that you put into it when you decorate your house and when you live in your house and you have your family in that house. It's not just that kind of energy, but it's also the energy of simply being a house, simply being a shelter, simply being a shelter that has been provided for you. simply being a shelter that you are using to provide for your family. That is its essence. But at the same time, it also has structure. And every structure at its core is unstable, even the most stable structures. Take for example, especially when it comes to a house. A natural disaster can wreck that house, from a tornado to a hurricane, I live, in, I live in Louisiana and we have frequent hurricanes. Um, every, every year we have a hurricane season that lasts from about July to November and sometimes it just continues. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then you have uh, wildfires and, and landslides and earthquakes in, in places like California. Uh, you have tsunamis in, in places that get that that uh, earthquake well, uh, that earthquake activity. You'll have you'll also have tsunamis as well. Um, you have tornadoes in, in parts of in parts of the country and in parts of the world. And you can even have something spontaneous like some sort of spontaneous combustional fire or anything like that, that can absolutely decimate a structure, such as a house. And I'm just using that as an example because that is one of the biggest physical examples that we do have, is how easy it is for a natural or even spontaneous disaster to occur to remove that house from, from anything. And, and maybe all you're left with at the end of that, at the end of that disaster, is bare bones that you can decide to either completely discard and start from scratch, which some people do. Um, it might take time, but some people will do that. Or you can leave that, leave that lot, leave that space vacant and move to a different space altogether and rebuild Absolutely. Altogether. 
And some people do that too. And why am I why am I saying that all structures are unstable? Because when you have a structure, the structure isn't built on a simple essence. It's built on it's built because of and built on mind-based and ego-based foundations. What you want to see in the 3D reality. What you want to happen in the 3D reality. The kind of relationships that you want to have. The kind of things that you think you want to do. Excuse me. The, the things that you think you want to do. The things that you think will make others happy. The things that you think will create a better world and a better life for you and other people. And while these things are totally okay, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any structures at all, but notice that most structures are unstable, especially when it comes to relationship dynamics. Think about it, think about it like this. There are a lot of relationship dynamics that are built off of role playing and playing a part in order to impress that person or in order to, um, especially when it comes to parent-child dynamics. There is the role of the parent that the parent takes on and sometimes that role is constructive and conducive and the parent recognizes that what they are there for is not to project this image of what they want their child to be and who they want their child to be and how they want their child to act all the time. What they are there to do is guide this child through their life as they are learning about themselves, as they are learning about emotions, as they are learning about everything. And to Yes, protect them from danger. Yes, you know, make sure that when they make a mistake that they recognize that it was a mistake or when they do something, quote, wrong, such as hitting somebody and causing them pain, for example, or um, when they continue to do something that you've asked them not to do and they just do it anyway, um, you have to continue to coach them and say, hey, look, there's a reason why we don't do this instead of just yelling at them, which makes them want to do it even more. <laughs> Psychologically, it's going to make them want to do it even more. If you yell at your child, it's going to make them want to do the thing even more because they understand that they're getting a reaction out of you. And that's what they want. They want that reaction because that reaction is at least something. But then you can also have conversations with your child and treat them as if they are a little person and not necessarily separate from you and say, hey, look, um, for example, if you like making coffee in the morning and you like making your coffee a certain way and then your child gets curious and they take the cup and they slide it and then what happens is your coffee tips, tips over because they slid it against the countertop and you're like, now I have to make a new coffee and I have to clean up this mess. You have two choices. You can yell at your child and be like, oh my God, why did you do that? And then watch their little, watch their little bodies and brains and, and, and everything like that. Just like get scared, go into a panic and then start to cry. And then you'll yell at them for crying, 
I've seen it happen. It's even happened to me. <laughs> like where I've done something that I didn't even recognize was going to be detrimental, that I didn't even recognize was going to be bad. And then I got yelled at. <laughs> um, but you also have the choice of what, what nowadays people call gentle parenting. And, and it's not necessarily just gentle parenting as in, oh, you are, um, you are being too docile. But what is happening is that with gentle parenting, you are telling your child, hey, look, um, so now we know that this is what happens when you do this thing. And now we know that this is what happens because we know that this is what happens when you do this thing. Let's work on not doing this thing. And especially when they, when they do it repetitively and then you repetitively tell them, hey, we, we spoke about this before. We know that why we shouldn't do this thing. We know that this is the reaction and the result that's going to happen. So let's work on doing something else. Let's work on being a little bit more mindful. And you can practice those mindfulness techniques with a child in a way that they will be able to understand it. Because guess what? Especially during those formative years, they pick up on things. They pick up on behaviors and responses and patterns of behavior and thought processes and your reactions especially. And they will learn, one, how to act and interact and react, and two, how you're going to act and interact and react, and how to gauge your emotional responses to things. And if you don't want to scare the bejesus out of your child and leave them in this state where they're constantly hyper aware of everybody else around them, and they're constantly in this state of discomfort and, and disquiet and disharmony and imbalance, and they're constantly in this state of fear growing up, then it starts with you. I'm gonna read a little bit from um, the book that I'm currently reading. I'm currently, um, I've started and stopped this book so many times uh, because I wound up getting it a couple of years ago and then I just had it on my shelf and never really read it. And now I'm, I'm saying to myself, I'm going to read this book and I'm reading this book. And I had the desire to read the book. <laughs> um, check back in with my last episode that I did yesterday um, about manifesting from desire versus getting into the um, intentional uh, side of, of manifesting. Um, but I had the desire at, at some point to read this book. I know that I, I knew a couple of years ago when I was um, shopping in the bookstore that I wanted to get this book because I liked the author already. The, the author is Eckhart Tolle. And I have already read and listened to and, and still sometimes will listen to um, The Power of Now. I have an Audible version on uh, like an audiobook version on Audible and I also have a Kindle version and I've also had a physical copy and I wound up giving it to a friend. Um, but I, I love that book. And from there, I grew a love of Eckhart Tolle. And I wanted to get his other books, Stillness Speaks and A New Earth. And I was shopping in the bookstore with some friends one day and I picked up a copy of A New Earth. And I had it on my shelf, I had it on my bookshelf, I had it in, I had it in a, in a box to, to move and, and I took it with me to school and, and still didn't read it. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and I finally decided to go ahead and read it this year. Because I saw it on my bookshelf and I said, you know what, I'm gonna start reading again. I'm going to start reading again. And I kept telling myself I was gonna start reading, I was gonna start reading, I was gonna start reading, I was gonna start reading. Because I had started reading again. I was going to my local library. I was um, getting gifted books by friends. I had started reading um, the A Court of Thorns and Roses uh, series. <laughs> and I started getting back into reading. But I also wanted to read not just for entertainment, but to be able to expand my knowledge. And I finally decided to pick up the book off of my shelf and start reading A New Earth. I started and stopped, I started and stopped, I started and stopped, I left it sitting, and then I finally decided, you know what? Alice, you said you were gonna read this book. God damn it, read this book. <laughs> and I finally took action and said, all right, this is my intention. And I let it happen and I started reading. And the other night, I almost couldn't even put this book down. <laughs> I was reading it for hours. I read it for a whole day and, and just, you know, while I was, you know, in between working and, and I kind of just had my, my phone next to me to be able to, um, to work from. And then, you know, I worked a couple of hours and then I just read this book and read this book and read this book and read this book and read this book. <laughs> and that was my, that was my entire day. And I, and I got to chapter four of A New Earth. It is role-playing, the many faces of the ego. And Eckhart Tolle in this chapter has, a, has an entire section on the role-playing of the ego and in particular, the role-playing of the ego in parent-child relationships, such as how a parent will try to impose on their child a certain life path that they want them to follow to be able to live vicariously through the child and the kind of detriment that can happen from that because what's happening is not that the parent is recognizing how to be a parent and what they need to do as a parent to be able to help meet their child's needs as they are a child, but how they can continue to step into this role of being a parent and how they will identify with being a parent well into the child's adulthood and start to impose um, ideas and belief systems on their child still and continue to impose these ideas and beliefs of how they should be and what they should be doing with their lives and then meet them with disapproval when they don't live up to the expectations that when their child doesn't live up to the expectations that they have of them. And this can happen in, in other relationships too, even in romantic relationships where you have this idea of how your partner should act and how they should be treating you and, and what they should be like and all of these different things. And, and I do strongly believe that you can definitely have this mindset of how you want to feel when you are around that person and the kind of person that you want to be with and the type of thing that you want to be able and the type of things that you want to be able to do and share and experience with this person. But 
when you are just coming from the form-based ideas of, oh, well, I want them to look a certain way, I want them to act a certain way, they need to have a certain job, they need to have a certain type of income, different things like that, you're, you're essentially taking your essence away from being. And you're taking their essence away from being and you're not recognizing them as a being that already has the markup and the, and the framework to be able to be their true authentic selves around you. And you're imposing this idea of who they should be. And I wanna, I wanna read from, from A New Earth a little bit. So there, there's this one section that um, I, I read last night. Um, so let me get to it. Conscious parenting. Many children harbor hidden anger and resentment towards their parents, and often the cause is inauthenticity in the relationship. The child has a deep longing for the parent to be there as a human being and not as a role, no matter how conscientiously that role is being played. You may be doing all the right things and the best you can for your child, but even doing the best you can is not enough. In fact, doing is never enough if you neglect being. The ego knows nothing but of being, but believes you will eventually be saved by doing. So, so what he's saying there is that we have this in our, in our form-based human consciousness, we have this idea that thinking and doing is what equates to being, as opposed to just being equates to thinking and doing. Because essentially being equates to thinking and doing. If you show up, and you decide for yourself that you are just going to be and you are going to allow the day to be whatever it's going to be and surrender. That is where you will be able to then more consciously and logically and practically think and do. And sometimes you, you show up, you be, you, you show up as that being you start doing and then you start thinking and then you start doing again <laughs> and like it, it it winds up creating a cycle but when you're focused on the opposite the inverse of that cycle of doing and thinking as opposed to being you're always focused on that and you you identify with 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 this with this form base that in order to have a successful life you need to be doing, in order for your child to have a successful life you need to be doing, in order for that child to, to get that attention from the parent and to get their needs met, they need to be doing something, even if it's something that the parent doesn't want them to do. Because what the child is doing is saying, I want attention, I have a need that is not being met by my parent and I do not know how to meet this need on my own. And then what happens when they grow into adults is that they'll have this like relationship with their parent that they always feel like they'll never be good enough because of the things that they did in the past and because of the ways that they acted as a child and because of the fact that they didn't get those needs met as a child and they'll continue to act out and then once they get to a certain point in their 
adulthood, they start to break away from this relationship because they realize that this relationship has become toxic on both ends. And the child would take it upon themselves to either completely cut themselves off from their family for good because of the fact that they have recognized that they are trying to do the work on themselves to be a to be a better person for themselves and to get into a better state of being and you know have the ability to enjoy their life and everything like that and have their own adult life and then their parent is still in this mindset that is projecting and is narcissistic and is toxic and is always trying to be up in their business and and you know if they can't get them to return phone calls and and texts then they'll show up unannounced or they'll stalk them on social media and if they can't see them on social media they'll they'll go through friends of friends of friends to be able to get to their child and and it creates this toxic environment and it, it can even happen when the, the parent is trying to protect the child from something. And the, the parent will say that my child should not have to suffer. I'm going to protect them from suffering uh, because I don't want to see them suffer. I don't want to see them struggle. But if you're protecting them from suffering and struggle, you're protecting them from surrender. You're protecting them from actually having any experiences. If you're saying, well, I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I did, well, then guess what? You're focused on the mistakes that you made in your life. And what happens is because you're focused on the mistakes that you made in your life, your child might wind up making those same mistakes, might wind up dating those same types of people that you dated, might wind up having similar experiences that you had, might wind up getting into the same trouble that you had, might wind up having the same financial troubles that you had in your young adult years because they learned from you and they also became a product of what you said that they would be based on your patterns and the patterns that you taught them. And how do you bring being into the life of a busy family and into the relationship with your child? The key is to give your child attention. Ding, ding, ding. There are two kinds of attention. One we might call form-based attention and the other is formless. Form-based attention is always connected in some way with doing or evaluating, such as, have you done your homework? Eat your dinner, tidy up your room, brush your teeth, do this, stop doing that, hurry up and get ready. What's the next thing we have to do? This question pretty much summarizes what family life is like in many homes. A form-based attention is a course is of course necessary and has its place. But if that is all that there is in the relationship with your child, then the most vital dimension is missing. And being becomes completely obscured by doing, by the cares of the world, as Jesus puts it. Formless attention is inseparable from the dimension of being. How does it work? As you look at, listen to, touch, or help your child with this or that, you are alert, still, and completely present, not wanting anything other than that moment as it is. In this way, you make room for being. In that moment, if you are present, you are not father or mother. You are the alertness, the stillness, the presence that is listening, looking, touching, and even speaking. You are the being behind the doing. And so essentially what Eckhart Tolle is saying here is that when you are focused on doing, when you are focused on 
your child doing something such as doing their homework, cleaning their room, um, eating their dinner, making sure they finish everything that's on their plate, making sure that they um, do something, making sure that they brush their teeth at night, making sure that they whatever, instead of, and, and you're essentially commanding them to do something or you are inquiring if they have already done it instead of just being like, okay, um, my child might have a different need that needs to be met. My child might, might feel like they can't do their homework until they eat dinner. So maybe let's eat dinner first and then we'll work on homework. Or they might need a little bit of stimulation in the form of okay, let's watch something fun for 30 minutes before I do my homework because I was in a classroom all day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and they have a different need that might need to be met when they get home. Or they might just need comfort. They might just need a little bit of a, hmm, especially if they had a bad day. Say that your child had to deal with the bullies at school today. And, and even though, you know, it wasn't a, a bad situation where you were called into the principal's office because of the bullies and because of what they did to your child, they still had to deal with some bullying today and, and they wound up coming home upset. You can, in, instead of just focusing on doing something, you can focus on being, ding, 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 key, key word here, there for your child. And you can say, hey, I recognize that my child is upset. What do they need from me in the moment and how can I help? And by recognizing their social cues, by recognizing their body language, by recognizing their speech patterns, you can be there and be alert and then help them move through whatever it is that they need in that moment before you focus on something like doing something, such as doing their homework. You can ask them, have you done your homework? Or, or, or tell them to go ahead and do their homework, but maybe they might need help from you. And you can say, hey, um, instead of saying, do your homework and commanding them, or have you done your homework? And then they're like, no, not yet. <laughs> um, and, and they might be focused on playing a video game instead of doing their homework. You can say, hey, look, I understand that you are engrossed in this video game, but your homework is also important. So let's sit down and maybe if you need some help, Let's see how I can help you in this subject, especially if it's a subject that they're struggling with, like math. That is one of the most common subjects that, that children struggle with. And, and reading. Reading can be a common struggle for children. Um, but a lot, a lot of children, um, and I was one of these children, struggle with math. And if they have a brain that is more creative and more imaginative, then their reading comprehension skills and their language comprehension skills and their writing comprehension skills might be very well up to par or even surpass par. Whereas their math skills and their science skills and their history skills might, might suffer a little bit. And that might be the area in which the parent might need to help if they can. Um, and that's when the parent should step in instead of being like, hey, have you done your homework? Um, and then the child says, no, I'm struggling a bit with math. Okay, well, let's see. You're struggling with math. I'm really good at math. 
what are you what what kind of math are you doing and then you take the homework and you sit with the child and you're like okay so this is how I'm going to help you and this is how I can help you I know how I like like you recognize within yourself that you know how to maybe um, solve the equation that's in front of your child but you can then say okay here's how I'm going to help you and then you go step by step in a way that they can understand to help them with their homework. And then they wind up going into the classroom later and, and feeling more confident in the math that they're doing because they were able to get that need met of needing that help without you being like, oh, well, I can't do it. Oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And if you can't do it, you can definitely be like, hmm, this is challenging for me too. So let's see if we can find someone to, to help you with this a little bit more instead of just berating your child for not knowing how to do it or getting mad at your child for not doing their homework because they didn't understand their homework. <laughs> and when you get into that, that formless act of, of just being there and being still and being present and being alert, you're alert to your surroundings, you're alert to what responses your child is having whether it's physical responses to something or emotional responses to something and you are simply in that moment with your child and this can and this can happen with another with any other relationship but it's it's very imperative when it when it happens in parent-child relationships because our parent-child relationships especially when we are the child our parent-child relationships have a lot of influence on the belief systems that we have, the ways in which we think about things, the ways in which we feel about ourselves, the ways in which we feel about the world around us and the relationships we wind up having. And they can take up a lot of huge precedence in our lives, especially when we are not conscious to just how much influence that these types of relationships have had in our lives. Especially when we grow into adults and then we wind up having to take care of our inner child and we wind up having to be there and meet the needs that our child self did not have met. And, and we wind up having to break through these cycles and patterns and all of these different things in order to feel secure within ourselves as adults. So, getting into a different part of this, um, at, the, at, the end of, at the end of this little section, he says, give up defining yourself to yourself or to others. You won't die, you will come to life. And don't be concerned with how others define you. When they define you, they are limiting themselves, so it's their problem. Whenever you interact with people, don't be there primarily as a function or a role, but as a field of conscious presence. Why does the ego play roles? Because of one unexamined assumption or fundamental error or one unconscious thought. And that thought is, I am not enough. Other unconscious thoughts will soon follow, such as I need to play a role in order to get what I need to be fully myself. I need to get more so that I can be more. But you cannot be more than you are because underneath your physical and psychological form, you are one with life itself and one with being. 
In form, you are and always will be inferior to some and superior to others. In essence, you are neither inferior nor superior to anyone. True self-esteem and true humility arise out of that realization. In the eyes of the ego, self-esteem and humility are contradictory. And in truth, they are one and the same. And that really, I read that right before I went to bed last night and that really struck a chord with me. And because here's the thing, it's true. You can never be more than you actually are. You can, in a, in a way, focus on connecting more with being. You can definitely focus on connecting more with being. And, and the ways in which you do that are the, are the ways that have already been described by, by yogis and by, um, by uh, different spiritual practitioners across different spiritual belief systems and even religious belief systems. Um, but the, some of the ways in which we can really connect to ourselves is through things like yoga, meditation, sitting out in the sun um, and meeting our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. And tapping into all of these needs at once is where we really do connect with ourselves and find that source of being. Because yes, on a form base, you know, the physical base is the form base. The form that you are taking up, the space that you are taking up as a physical human. That is your form base. And you do have to have your physical needs met, such as making sure that you are hydrating and getting enough water into your body so that your organs can function properly and so that your kidneys can function properly and so that you can feel like you can function properly getting enough water into your system every day because we we are made up of 70 to 75 percent water um our physical bodies are made up to up of 70 to 75 percent water but even though we are made up of water we still need to make sure we are drinking enough water so that our organs can properly function and we don't wind up dehydrated especially when we're living in places with high heat indexes <laughs> um so one of those physical needs that needs to be met is making sure that we're getting enough water, making sure that we're getting food into our systems, making sure that we are stretching our bodies when our bodies feel tense, making sure that we are focusing on the places in which we are carrying a lot of tension and how we can start to take care of that. And even, even in our relationships, how can we get our physical needs met? What, what, is, what is a need that that we that we need to be able to get our physical needs met what is a physical need that we have in this moment and is it connected to an emotional need such as if we are feeling distress and we feel like we will feel more regulated by getting a hug from somebody and and getting a hug will help us to soothe and to emotionally regulate ourselves because that person that we are trusting to give us a hug is someone that we trust, whether that's a parent or a friend or our romantic partner. We, 
we basically tell them, hey, or we communicate with them in a way, not, not necessarily just telling them, but we communicate with them in a way that says, this hug will help me to regulate. Or if they pick up on our responses and they pick up on what's going on with us and they see that we are in a state of distress, that person will be like, hey, what's wrong? And, and then we'll tell them what's wrong and then they'll wrap their arms around us and help them and help us to soothe and help to soothe us and, you know, put, put one arm around us to, to kind of like hold our, hold our head against their shoulder or their chest or, or whatever. And then put the other arm around us to pull us in a little bit closer and be like, Hey, it's all right. And then they'll start like rubbing our back, stroking our hair and helping us regulate. So that's a physical need. Another physical need that comes in the form of our relationships with other people is quality time. Quality time could be a physical need because what happens when we are saying that we want quality time with someone is that we want to be able to be in their presence and we want to be able to spend time with them and share our lives with them. And that in and of itself is a physical need that is also meeting emotional needs and mental needs. And how is it meeting emotional and mental needs? And then how can it also meet a spiritual need? The spiritual need comes in when we are focused on that presence and focused on being in the present and being around that other person. And we are saying we feel joy when we are around this other person and that is why we want to be around them. And we are aware of the intrinsic one life, the intrinsic oneness, the connection that we have that helps us to, reg- to recognize, I almost said regulate, helps us to recognize that we are one. It is meeting an emotional need by saying that, okay, we enjoy, again, we enjoy that person's presence. And we hadn't seen, especially if it's someone we hadn't seen in a while, and we want to be around them, and we want to feel happiness, and we want to share our happiness with them, and we want to catch up and and talk about what's been going on in our lives, and, and we want to, you know, maybe do something together. And that's meeting the emotional need. It's meeting the physical need because we are in their physical presence. We're able to hold their hand, we're able to give them a hug, we're able to see them, we're able to smile at them, we're able to look at them, we're able to be around each other. And then it's meeting the mental need of, I have things that I want to share with this person. Thoughts, ideas, um, and I want to have this, I want to have conversations with this person. So it's meeting that mental need. And it's also meeting that desire to, to see them because we had that desire. We took action towards it. We, we had intention towards it. We, we called them, we texted them or, or they called us or texted us or, or whatever, whatever happened. That got us to the point where we were able to have that quality time with them. But it's also when we when we dismantle just living within the ego 
is when we really do wind up having a better life, having a richer life and recognizing the richness that is our life already so that we can have that gratitude for our lives and therefore attract more of the things that we want to experience in it and the things that we want to have in it. Because just as I was saying in my, in my episode yesterday of, desire, of uh, trying to manifest from desire versus manifesting from intention and especially like manifesting from outer intention and then also recognizing how you can be safe and secure regardless of whether or not you got your manifestation as you wanted it. Um, when we break away from desire, we break away from ego. When we break away from ego, we break away from desire. And when we become conscious of the ego, that in and of itself is the breaking down of the ego. We are conscious of the ego. We are conscious of, okay, we won't be happy until XYZ thing has been done. XYZ need has been met that we expect other people to meet. As opposed to being like, hey, this is what I want. This is what I desire with this person. This is the outcome that I desire to have in my life. This is the thing that I desire to have in my life. But I'll also be happy if I don't wind up getting it. But I'm also going to take steps in order to get it if I can. Whether that's a relationship or more or um, a physical object such as, or more, more often than not when it comes to like a physical object or it comes to views on, on your creative endeavors or um, interaction with your creative endeavors, especially if you're a content creator, you, your ego comes in when you're just like, oh, I, I want people to see this and I want people to read this and I want people to experience this and I want to I wanna have this many readings and I want to have this many views and I want to have this many ratings and I want to blah, 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 blah. And you know exactly the type of, of way and the type of thing that you want. But then you're also like, okay, um, you can affirm for yourself. I have 100K subscribers on YouTube and my videos are going viral and I'm always getting views and I'm getting a lot of likes and I'm getting a lot of comments. But then you can also say to yourself, it's okay if I don't. It's okay if this video doesn't do as well as this other video that I did. That's okay. I'm still gonna create the content that I wanna create. People are still gonna resonate with it. It doesn't matter if it's the same people. It doesn't matter if I lose viewers. It doesn't matter if I lose followers. That, that leaves room for other people who are actually going to resonate with my content. And then you're just like, boom, all right. You get what you want by not being attached to it, by not being in that ego, by not being like, oh, I need this to, I need this to happen and please, please, please happen so that my ego can feel better. You step out of that and you're just like, whatever happens, happens. Whatever manifests and how it manifests, gonna be happy. Gonna be happy either way. And, and you even say, I know that this could, this could fail. I know that this, I very well know that this could fail. And you accept that it could possibly fail. You accept that you could possibly fail. But just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. You're just like, oh, that thing didn't do so well. That's fine. 
do something else, you know? And, and then you're just like, eh, eh, I don't care, you know? <laughs> because the more that you care about your misgivings and your miscomings and your shortcomings and your mistakes and your failures, so the more you start to judge yourself based on that ego, and the more your ego is like, oh, my ego is bruised because of the fact that I didn't get the attention that I wanted in the form of my ego. That person that I wanted to see my my story didn't see it. That person that I wanted to read my, um, my poem didn't read it. That person that I wanted to see my video didn't see it. Or those people. Or I didn't get the interactions that I wanted. Or I didn't get the response from my partner that I wanted. Or I didn't da 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 And you focus just on the ego. As opposed to getting in the state of, eh, I don't care. They'll text me when they can. Eh, I don't care. Um, something else that I do will do better. Eh, I don't care. I'll make, I'll make the, the money that I, that I know that I deserve to make in a day. And, and if I make a little bit less than that, eh, I don't care. I'm still making money. I still have money. I'm good. You know? <laughs> and, and when we break away from the ego is when we really do experience true happiness. And, and I will say this, you're not always going to be 100% free from the ego, no matter how much you break from it. But you can find inner peace and inner balance by not identifying with the ego as much. Because the ego is always there. The ego is always there. And just as much as unconscious thought is always there. But once you make something conscious, once you move into a different state, dominantly, then you recognize what it actually means to be. And you connect to that one life, that oneness, that wholeness that peace, that bliss. And it becomes a wonderful experience. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, feel free to let me know. I cannot wait to continue sharing these wonderful revelations with you and continuing to go on this journey with you. Um, I hope you have a lovely day and that you are able to Have the best day that you can. Bye.